As nations, societies, tribes, and individuals, we strive for peace. Especially so when we lose it. We want it like never before, to just have peace in our families, in our places of work. We fight for peace, we chase it, we build walls, set up armies, we regulate, we take all sorts of measures just to have a peace of mind. The world wants peace, but so rarely sees it. It's Saturday, April 10th, 2021, and we're taking a look back at this past week where COVID cases and deaths weren't the only thing surging during the pandemic. We take a look at the newsworthy politicians of this week, where Justin Bieber drops better lines than Hillsong, the nationally broadcasted Chauvin trial continues, and we explore the woke exodus from Georgia. Welcome to LifeRing, a podcast where we strive to provide you with a well-rounded review of what's going on in the world between Monday and Friday of this week. My name is Alex, and I'm joined by my friends Vadim and Paul. How are you, brothers? Hey, hey, doing good. Good um, to be here. Yeah, so I got a promotion this past week, so good work. to be alive. Are you on show or, or at work? Well, the CEO of this show, obviously, <laughs> but at work as well. Yeah. <laughs> Right on. Yeah, that's good. It was Congrats. out of the blue. It was like Monday morning, so my manager's manager calls me. Never talked to the guy, and he calls me out of the the blue. I'm like, uh oh. He's like, oh yeah. So we've been noticing that you've been with us for a while, and basically a lot of people are leaving our company too. So mm. it was definitely good news. I was promotion in a position or pay? as in as in pay. Nice. Just yeah, just a raise, I guess mm-hmm. would be a better term for it. But yeah, yeah. praise God. What about you, Vadim? I'm doing good. So I want to begin by reading a quote from AP Morning Wire. Nations around the world are setting new records for COVID-19 deaths and new confirmed cases, including places that had kept the coronavirus in check. It's been over a year since a choir practice in Washington state sickened 53 people and killed two, becoming one of the first known COVID-19 super spreader events in the United States. From that situation emerged one of the most pivotal transmission episodes in understanding the virus. So check this out. The first U.S. super spreader apparently was right here in our beloved town where we're you know, currently recording the podcast. The event that pushed the country to take lockdown measures happened in our backyard. And as you remember, patient zero in the United States was also, you know, about 30 minutes away from here. In fact, I looked into it, and it was on my birthday, January 19th. Happy birthday. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, so, so it happened, uh, you know, on my birthday, this guy walks in into urgent care with a slightly elevated temperature, a cough, that he developed after he returned from Wuhan, uh, China, you know, uh, a few days prior to this. He saw, like, a CDC posted warning that, hey, you know, if you've traveled recently to Wuhan and so on. Anyways, and so it turns out, yeah, they took uh, swabs, uh, took blood samples, sent them to a CDC lab in Atlanta. And next day, we had ourselves our very first uh, COVID case in U.S. Right here, 40 minutes away from us in Everett. Then came the Kirkland nursing home and, and so on. Here we are so many months later living through the most global event. And I know I've said it before, mm-hmm. third only to what Jesus has done on the cross and possibly the Great Flood. And then you have COVID, like literally in that, well, great flood, Jesus, right? And and then COVID, like it's it's the most global thing we can all experience at the same time. Well, I mean, th- th- there's a few other things I can think of, like the world wars and the Holocaust and all of, all, all of that going on. Well, <laughs> He's got you there, Alex. <laughs> okay, sure. I, I would argue even when the world were 
two, let's say, or one was happening. Mm. We call it the world war, but did it affect every country? There were countries that stayed out of it. COVID, however, touched every single country. It, it locked borders. It, it brought lockdowns. It, it brought really an unexpected new reality. I, I'd still put it number three after the flood and, 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 and Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Here's uh, what's going on in the world in relation to that virus, this global event um, that many of us overlooked and, you know, thought it was insignificant. And I think uh, we underestimated the political and national effect it will have for years to come. So to to give you an update of what's going on in the world, CDC says that more than a quarter of U.S. population uh, has been vaccinated. 80% of K-12 through teachers... Uh, are said to be vaccinated by now. Daily average is now over 3 million doses a day, which means that we're coming closer to the new normal that Fauci promises. Once we hit the 75, 85% people vaccinated, we're probably going to see full reopening of economy everywhere. At least that was the promise. We'll see if that will happen. There might be some slowing down with the vaccine uh, due to the Baltimore factory mess up that happened at the beginning of the week. There was a large number of doses that were messed up. They just mixed up the wrong ingredients. And, well, good thing it didn't make it out of the factory. AstraZeneca is linked to blood clotting as suspected and so will not be given to young adults, at least across Europe. Uh, among other, Notre Dame is one of the latest colleges to say that they will require proof of vaccination for students to be back on campus, uh, added to the list of many other colleges. Uh, that already, uh, you know, came out with the statement. Cornell, Rutgers, Brown, Northeastern. One of the final things is that President Biden shaved off uh, a few weeks, two weeks specifically, off the vaccine being available to all adults, setting an earlier deadline of April 19th. So, you know, I, I like how initially Florida governor jumped on the, you know, whole idea of banning vaccine passports. But do you think it will really stop businesses and private organizations from enforcing these rules? It depends on where where you are. I mean, I, I feel like if you're in Seattle, then even if you ban these vaccine passports, some local companies might still do it. But if you're out here in the countryside where we are, I doubt anyone is going to, even if it's a federal federal mandate. Like so some of the shops around here will do it because let, so for instance, last week I went to a store and the it, it was like a small little grocery store, but the cashier wasn't even wearing a mask. So, so I think it's a big cultural difference, and so I think it would depend on the location where you're, where you are. But it's, it definitely is concerning, though. I think with businesses becoming kind of more and more invasive with, uh, in dealing with customers, I guess because it's not only vaccine passports and things like that. There's a convenience store in Tacoma that I was reading up on this week that implemented facial recognition to uh to enter into the door so it's like you have to look into the camera and then it like buzzes you in and it's you know they claim it's Mm. to prevent crime and all that stuff so you know uh obviously a lot of these things are ushered in with the with at least professed good intentions um i'm just wondering if they're if we're truly you know heading towards distinct two different distinct classes of uh you know society and and i'm afraid that the, the new normal is not really Happen. There is no new normal ahead, if you will. So there's this tweet I saw, uh, you know, in an article I was reading. It goes like this. There is a small but loud and absolutely real subset of people who don't want the pandemic to end because they like being the best at following the rules. I thought that summarized it pretty well. In other COVID news, the Northeast is not faring real well still. Cases are higher than elsewhere in the country. Speaking of all the cases, did you know that apparently only five states account for the 43% of all COVID cases, say, in the past week? Uh, as of Wednesday, it was New York, Michigan, Florida, Pennsylvania, 
and New Jersey. Uh, those states are home to the 22% of U.S. population. And by the way, they're saying that UK variant B117 uh, is now the dominant strain in the U.S., and they say it's more contagious. I'm not going to comment on how incredibly racist it is to uh, make it okay for to call these variants by their country of origins, but then there was so much outrage out about the president calling the virus that originated in China, the Wuhan flu or the China virus. Do you think it's because the UK is predominantly white that it's okay to say this? Because I don't I feel like we're conditioned to think that like anything to do with like now Asian countries and even um, African countries. So like, what if we say, oh, the African uh, variant if someone says that, I feel like the media might be all over it saying, oh, like, how can you be so racist? And do you think there's an end to this COVID thing? In my opinion, I think that COVID as a pandemic should be deemed as over at this point. I mean, the mortality rate is down. Definitely not what it was predicted to be. The amount of people dying in the United States, the amount of people hospitalized now is a lot less. We see that vaccines are coming for those that have weak immune systems and prior conditions, the economy is slowly picking back up. It's gaining speed. But that being said, I don't people. I, I don't think people are going to give it up that easy. I predict that in a year we'll still be like, even if it's you know Biden goes up and says, "Hey, it's officially over." Some people are still going to wear masks. Well, California says they will reopen the economy by June fifteenth, but it will keep the mask mandate. And what's interesting to note here is that Florida's governor he took things very different. For example, take Cali versus New York, right? Cuomo, as the government, is under investigation. New York unemployment rate is 8.8%, while in California, it's 9%. And Newsom is facing the recall. So these two big states that have been in the news, you know, from the beginning in terms of their restrictions, you know, they're very exemplary. And yet both of the governors right now are facing, you know, some, some issues with their country. Take Florida, they have half the unemployment rate. So they, they're currently at 4.8%. Uh, it's reopened, no mask mandates, and obviously doing really well. The governor DeSantis is is kind of rising up to the top. And of course, California now wants to open. By the way, did you know something else that surged along with the COVID cases and the number of migrants at the south border mm-hmm. is the number of billionaires this past year. And I and I, I segue into this because, well, we're talking about California reopening. But yeah, number of billionaires grew from uh, 660 billionaires were made just this past year alone, added to the list. Wow. So now it's totaling 2,755 billionaires. 493 of them are first-time billionaires. Jeff Bezos was at the top of the list for four years. He's estimated to have 177 billions. Musk was second at 155 billion. They say that 86% of billionaires got richer during the pandemic. Altogether, their wealth, 13.1 trillion. That's up from $8 trillion as of last year. The, the people who have a lot of money, they know that in a time of crisis, in a pandemic, they have this money to go extra and to, like, for instance, move everything online or take certain steps or measures. So, for instance, like big tech companies like Microsoft and Amazon, they um, had work from home, which... Um, which cut down on utility costs Mm -hmm. and also increased productivity because people didn't have to commute. So through this time, they kind of thought through and because they had so much money and they were so big and established, they could, in a sense, take a loss for a little bit in order to push themselves forward. While small little businesses 
they, they can't really do anything. Is a startup company even going to be possible here in the next five years with, you know, the tech giants just growing bigger and bigger every single day? It reminds me of a story of a, of a restaurant owner in California where she was really digging into her savings to try and create like a new, uh, you know, whatever they're requiring, a new outdoor, indoor space. And so there was a Hollywood film i guess being shot like across the street and so mm -hmm. they were having they were feeding their you know their staff basically in the same exact accommodations that uh that she was trying to make but she was not able to open and they were they were doing business as usual yeah and the sad reality is that it disproportionately affected the poor folks speaking of rich folks uh did you know that according to a statement from who uh, they said out of more than 700 million vaccine doses administered around the world more than 87% went to the wealthier countries. Low-income countries, on the other end, received just 0.2% of those doses. So one in four uh, received the vaccines in the wealthy country countries, and in the poor countries, it was one in 500. Meanwhile, elsewhere in the world, uh, Brazil is experiencing a catastrophic surge this week in COVID cases and deaths. President Bolsonaro didn't lock down and said that he won't. Um, I think what made the news is they almost reached 4,000 deaths in one day, which was a, a number that only U.S. held for the longest time. And then, of course, there's riots and you know um, across Europe in, in in various countries. But uh, specifically, something that came up in the news is the rioting in Ireland. That's a bunch of young people calling calling out essentially government hypocrisy. It is more political there. There, you've got you've got the clash between pro-Irish and pro-UK groups. With these nationalists versus unionists, um, you know, so there's political tied into this, but at the basis of it all, there's the pandemic restrictions. But am I making a pandemic scapegoat by blaming everything on pandemic? It's more about people that are just kind of stewing in these online forums and uh, spending all their time basically arguing with strangers online and uh, creating more and more of a us versus them mentality, mm -hmm. and more and more tribalism. Uh, it's very easy to create in, a, in an online setting. And I think COVID will test us more than we ever thought it would. And it will test our beliefs, our values, our morals, our sanity. And those who will pass the test will live in a different world. And as sad as it is to say, I think it's fair to say that pre-2020 world is not coming back anytime soon. Well, moving on to the next segment, I titled it Political Party. Uh, party as in party party, like a, an event where you know, a bunch of people come to party. Um, and so I, I'd like to do a little play on words here and talk about, you know, group of politicians that are making headlines this week. So I'm bringing them all into this big party. All right. We're going to start with uh, Republican Governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. He made the news last week by banning COVID passports. Governor Ron DeSantis made the news in the 60 minutes aired by CBS, where they tried to propose a certain narrative that DeSantis essentially offered preferential uh, treatment. Now, CBS is based in New York. They're Democratic-leaning, and so obviously they had a certain story to put forward trying to put some grime, I guess, on DeSantis. Have you seen the clips? It really seemed like even in the in the worst light in that, in that heavily edited version, like even that wasn't, to me, very concerning because if there's a company that steps up and is able to deliver vaccines, then why would you not choose them? It's not like you're doing anyone a disservice by leaving out organizations that are less effective. 
Yeah, and, it, and the, the main point of that was is that they said that, well, hey, by the way, Publix donated to your campaign, Friends of DeSantis. Uh, it was like 100,000 totaling of the amount that's been donated to DeSantis. And so the narrative that they took is that, oh, they mm-hmm. paid you, and so you offered them a, you know, a sort of a first uh, place in, in COVID uh, vaccine distribution. Publix specifically, right? And I and I got a pl- clip here. I guess I, c- I cut out just the part where, the part that CBS cut out. We vaccinated now three and a half million senior citizens. We were the first state to say we're doing seniors first. We're not going to follow the CDC's recommendation. And what we have done has worked. And they didn't want to discuss that. And obviously, they selectively edited the background. They tried to act like there was a conspiracy with Publix, ignoring the fact that other pharmacies were involved before Publix doing all our long-term care facilities, and ignoring the fact that I met with the county mayor, who's now is a Democrat, who said what, what uh, 60 Minutes has done is bunk. Uh, but the, Palm Beach calculated 90% of their seniors live within a mile and a half of a Publix. So when we put it in there, their numbers started going through the roof, so it succeeded there. But what they didn't tell you also, Tucker, is when there was a need in a more rural part of the county, like near Lake Okeechobee, we set up a separate site in a small town called Pahokee. They didn't tell you that. They didn't tell you that we were doing African-American church vaccination drives before Publix ever gave a single shot. They didn't tell you that. They didn't tell you that hospitals were doing shots starting in the third week of December because it didn't fit the narrative. Like, I feel like DeSantis did a really good job of refuting it he gave all of the evidence he made sure it was clear like anyone listening to that segment would understand that hey maybe this story was a little misconstrued um but then afterwards the reporter for um 60 minutes she like asked the question again and that's when Mm -hmm, DeSantis mm -hmm. kind of got frustrated because like wait just a second ago I talked about all of this in the actual like interview. I answered your question, but that's the part that they kept where DeSantis was actually frustrated with, with her and yep. made him to look out this like this evil like this evil guy who just is like angry and upset and like funding only publics because they funded his campaign. 60 minutes did it straight up. They cut out the important parts, made DeSantis to look like a bad guy. They're they're doing it out in the open, and I'm sure this is not the first time. The media has been doing this for years and years and years. I think it's very telling when they do a hit piece uh, like this on on a governor. Like, we definitely need to be keeping an eye on DeSantis because he's uh, he's a rising star kind of in the in the conservative movement, and that he's not afraid to to speak up uh, when he's when he's unfairly treated by media and stuff like that. And to be fair, there is some democratic outrage as well. So CBS is right now, you know, facing that backlash from both sides. And that mayor, like he mentioned, that mayor came out, the the Democrat. Mm-hmm. He was like, yeah, DeSantis reached out to me. We worked on it. Like, like yep. 60 minutes is definitely. <laughs> yep. yeah. And so the idea is that Florida did a better job than any other state in the country to protect not just its senior citizens, but in general to reopen the economy. And so especially when you compare it to New York's Cuomo's job. Uh, like you mentioned, Vadim, he is a rising star, and he is uh, likely to be the presidential candidate or nominee for 2024. 20, uh, Among other things, uh, DeSantis filed a lawsuit against CDC to lift restrictions on cruises. Basically, wants to, well, he's demanding that they would allow the cruises to sail immediately and that uh, any delay is irrational. So, again, we'll see how that will affect California now because they also have a, a cruise industry which has been sitting dormant for more than uh, a year and a half now. There, there's that with uh, Governor DeSantis. Now, another guy that joins our party this week is uh, Greg Abbott. 
a Republican governor of Texas. And uh, he followed in the steps of DeSantis. Well, and here's uh, the announcement that he made last week. Every day, Texans return to normalcy as more people get the COVID vaccine. In fact, this week, Texas will surpass 13 million doses administered. Those shots help slow the spread of COVID, reduce hospitalizations, and reduce fatalities. But, as I have said all along, these vaccines are always voluntary and never forced. Government should not require any Texan to show proof of vaccination and reveal private health information just to go about their daily lives. That is why I issued an executive order that prohibits government-mandated vaccine passports in Texas. We will continue to vaccinate more Texans and protect public health, and we will do so without treading on Texans' personal freedoms. So here's the government dealing with the question of vaccines responsibly, you know, taking care of the state, yet allowing people to make their choices. And, you know, looking at this, that's compelling reason enough to consider moving to a place where your freedoms will be upheld. You know, we moved to America because it was one of the few countries or places in the world where they valued individual rights, freedoms, and, you know, the law upheld it. Uh, Well, now it seems like that's not the case for USA as a whole anymore. And now you have these pockets in the country where people are more have more common sense than other states. All right, so these are the Republicans in the news, and here's the top Democrat who made uh, news this week. Today we're taking steps to confront not just the gun crisis, but what is actually a public health crisis. Nothing, nothing I'm about to recommend in any way impinges on the Second Amendment. They're phony arguments suggesting that these are Second Amendment rights at stake from what we're talking about. But no amendment, no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. You can't yell crowd, you can't yell fire in a crowded movie theater. We call a freedom of speech. From the very beginning, you couldn't own any weapon you wanted to own. From the very beginning of the Second Amendment existed, certain people weren't allowed to have weapons. So the idea is just bizarre to suggest that some of the things we're recommending are contrary to the Constitution. Gun violence in this country is an epidemic. Let me say it again. Gun violence in this country is an epidemic, and it's an international embarrassment. This is how he began his announcement on the gun uh, executive orders that he uh, proposed, along with other things. And it wasn't really that bad. But it's another step to make it harder for everyone but the bad guy. One of the things he mentioned is crackdown on the ghost guns, uh, basically homemade firearms that lack serial numbers. He wanted to tighten the regulations of on, on pistol stabilizing braces, like the one apparently used in the Colorado shooting a few weeks ago. He did mention a list of other things that he wants to tackle, and among them uh, there was the Violence Against Women Act. He also talked about eliminating lawsuit exemptions for gun manufacturers, banning assault weapons, high-capacity magazines, uh, closing background check loopholes, all of the things that he promised during his campaign, right? But, of, of course, all of these would have to be taken uh, on uh, in Congress in order to have an actual lasting change. So the... All, most of the things you listed were not implemented, right? Like he, no, no. that's the, the kind last, of a, yeah. a wish list of virtue signaling that he yep. was that he was, he was laying out. So let's let's narrow it down to the things that 
were in the executive orders, right? So ghost guns and pistol stabilizing braces. So the braces are, um, they're designed to help people who like only have one arm to be able to shoot and defend themselves. So in a way, like you just, you just placed a restriction on the most vulnerable, like demographic yeah. of our population, which is our disabled people. And also ghost guns, which are, which is basically like you download a PDF and then you 3D print an action for a rifle, and then you can, uh, then you can use different, like modular, mm-hmm. uh, different modular pieces to basically can create a custom gun. So how would you how would you even enforce that? You mm-hmm. are going to infringe on people's First Amendment rights by deleting their PDFs from online somehow. Or when he said, what really stood out to me was he said that no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. So guess what Joe Biden just put on the table. The 13th Amendment, slavery. The 19th Amendment, women's suffrage. Where does it end? Right. I think the whole point of these actions was to, like, because he said gun violence is an epidemic. It's a huge thing that's going on. And so through this, through these two little things, banning ghost guns and those braces, it's going to somehow stop gun violence. And that's where I'm kind of um, confused because how would, first of all, two small little changes like that affect people like people who who are going to own guns anyway are going to do it like like you mentioned vadim if you're going to print off a gun you're not going to register it anyway so how are you going to catch these people and how are you going to enforce it in the first place and second of all by banning guns or having these things like first of all we have to look at the bigger picture even if we ban guns completely will that stop violence like that's the thing i think there's a bigger issue here and I think in order to prevent violence, we need police officers. We need people who are out there, who are patrolling, who are looking, because you could just as well kill someone with a knife as you would with a gun. So if you're looking at the issue of stopping violence and stopping you know, homicides in general, then why not increase our police force, increase, increase training? Because looking back at 2020, a lot of statistics are brought up that the most gun violence, that the most deaths occurred. Why? because police were protested against, they were shot, they were killed, they didn't have access to certain areas. And so that's why the gun deaths rose, that's why violence rose, and that's why homicides rose. So there's a clear correlation that I think we should look at the bigger picture. And ultimately, in my opinion, I think Biden was just responding to the woke crowd, the woke movement, saying that we should ban all guns because this is an epidemic. Right, and I'd say even, you know, like, the okay, he was. it was a fair point that we are facing... Uh, well, not, I wouldn't say an epidemic. We are facing an epidemic, COVID epidemic. And COVID <laughs> epidemic plays a role. And I think if we looked at the, you know, why people are breaking, right? And may- maybe that would give us some answers. And it's because, hey, we've been on lockdown for so long. Like we're mentally, psychologically being changed as a nation because of the measures that we've taken. And maybe if we fix, you know, stuff in that area, people would be less likely to go crazy. There are... Uh, another there is another story that made news this week and we'll cover it a bit later of the nfl player you know going um just just going crazy and and uh you know uh, shooting i think it was five people or something uh and that's again that's in line with all the other mass shootings that that happened recently and so there there's that yeah and he's he's definitely responding to uh to what's going on with all of this, uh, you know, even with an evenly divided Senate right now, any gun control legislation would require 60 votes to pass. So Democrats mm-hmm. would have to keep every member of their, you know, majority right now on board and at the same time adding 10 Republicans. So 
again, the very few things that he mentioned in the beginning that are executive orders, they're going to last only so long and they're going to have only so much effect. If you really want to make change, it happens in the Congress and that's not going to happen, at least not yet. Well, and then there's Cuomo, or actually there isn't. He's out of the spotlight somehow. Remember dozens of sexual allegations against Cuomo and, um, well, the investigation is still ongoing, but we have something else to pay attention now. Hey, look, there's uh, Matt Gates, a Republican representative of Florida who might or might not um, what, what were the allegations? So it's, it's they said that he likely had a sexual relationship with a 17-year-old and that he was paying for sex. Uh, he apparently was also showing some lewd photos of various women to his co-workers on the House floor. So those are the allegations right now. And all the attention now shifted to him. Well, because he's a Republican and well, it seems like he kind of got himself in trouble there again there's more and more things unfolding and it has been unfolding for the past two weeks. Um, so, but again, I'm just comparing it to, you know, here we got Cuomo, here we got Matt Gates, and how one kind of took away the attention from another. But in my opinion, it seems like the Republican um, governors, senators, will, if they hold a position of power, they are covered more. And if they make even the slightest of mistakes, it's going to be covered and it's going to be broadcasted a lot more than, for instance, Cuomo, who did so much wrong. I feel like if any Republican did that, they would be like, there would be court cases against him. There would be so much other things that like, he would basically not be in office 100%. Now I wouldn't defend Matt Gates. I think the, you know, when the allegations come out, they should be investigated. Yeah, yeah, and it's totally, totally fair. I'm just thinking, Hey, look, we've got Cuomo who actually, you know, is responsible for the many deaths apparently, uh, you know, with his mismanagement of the senior homes. Right. Um, in his state. And then we've got DeSantis and 60 Minutes will go after DeSantis saying that he uh, gave preferential treatment to wealthy seniors, or at least that was the the mm-hmm. message that they tried to portray. Rather than going maybe and doing an interview with uh, Governor Cuomo and seeing, you know, what is his take yeah. on? I just feel bad for all of the Republican senators and officials now because Trump is gone. So mm-hmm. now there's no, no one to take the spotlight and take all of the yep. blame and everything. So now the media has nothing to cover. So they start like going in. Well, obviously, like you mentioned, Matt Gates isn't something that should be let go. And if he actually committed this, then he should be prosecuted Absolutely. for it. But I'm just saying he's getting a lot more attention. Right. Yeah, I don't think they appreciated really how much of a heat sink Trump was like yeah. in terms of fire from the media. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Remember Christy Noem last week with her veto of the transgender participation in uh, yep, sports yep. bill? Anyway, so we have another Republican governor surprise. Uh, Asa Hutchinson of Arkansas. He received a bill uh, that was supposed to ban surgeries and hormone blocking you know, therapies for minors. Well, he vetoed the bill. However, this past Tuesday, the legislature overrode uh, that veto of the bill titled... Wasn't it called uh, Arkansas Saved Adolescents from Experimentation or uh, SAFE Act? There you go, SAFE Act, yeah. So basically it was meant to um, prevent minors from making really big life-altering decisions. Uh, Why is this important? Well, we have Republican governors who time and time again are now, um, you know, through this real-life test show that, hold on, maybe they aren't holding to conservative values as the constituents expected them to. And transgender, you know, ideology being a very important topic of our time is a belief system. I mean, it's a re- literally the ho- whole different worldview of looking at, you know, what we know of the world. Like basically saying that 
doesn't matter what we can perceive biologically or see, you know, the, the way we were created, right? Now, whatever you make up in your mind, uh, you know, in, in whatever you make out to be is more prevalent than than the actual biological evidence, if you will. They're turning a blind eye to evidence that speaks against their ideology and their policies. So we look at uh, the puberty blockers that are used in Sweden, in the Swedish medical system. And so there was a study that showed that 10 to 15 years after reassignment surgery, the suicide rate uh, for people that under, uh, would undergo this, that it jumped up to 2,000%. And so these are people that made the decision as adults uh, and think, see how much either regret or, uh, or mental, uh, like mental trauma they're experiencing. Mm-hmm because of this think how much effect it will have on children 10 to 15 years down the road yep and especially like i said that it's a life altering decision right and to to put it now in children's hands is just uh it's an abuse and that's why this this act was meant to protect them to save them from this what we have here is the separation between big government and common sense of the common folks and uh it's an ever-present battle between people and its leaders and the farther the disconnect between the two the more ridiculous the opposing realities are. And the longer we go on without reconciling the differences, the more the tensions grow. And the pandemic introduces a new accelerant variable that pushes those tensions to the brink with every new day. What a party. All right, so third story, um, maybe not wasn't like the top, top story, but it has some cultural, conservative, and Christian significance, I think. You know, I'll, I'll see. I'm sold. I'm sold. Well, <laughs> we, have, we have another pandemic, yeah. the Bieber fever. <laughs> <laughs> right. So Justin Bieber released a new uh, EP titled Freedom. By the way, EP versus LP. You probably knew this, Vadim. I don't know. Maybe you knew this as well. I had to look it up. No, I, I don't know. It, it basically refers back to the days when they played the vinyls. Extended play versus long play. And the idea is that if it's an LP, it's like uh, eight and above, I think, tracks. And EP is like less than eight tracks. So it could be like six, four. It's like a cl- smaller collection versus bigger collection of songs. Didn't know that. Yeah. So cool. he released a shorter collection. It was just five songs titled Freedom. Now, now, Justin Bieber has been talking about his faith and how he's a Christian. And, you know, he attended church and, and Bible studies and was baptized. And, you know, he, he was pretty open about that, I guess, in, in, a, in the past two, three, maybe four years. Well, you, you, you wouldn't look at him and say that all of a sudden this is a you know, evangelical converted Christian. He continues to release all sorts of music, including inappropriate music for kids and possibly for adults. This one was different in a few ways. It is explicitly Christian from a person who's not explicitly Christian, I guess. And I I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if we heard some of the songs that were in this EP release on a Christian radio. In fact, some of the Bieber songs qualify more as Christian than some of the prominent Christian songs. I think that's that's the part that surprised me most. Now, uh, he has tracks uh, like "Holy" or "Pray" that he's released in the past, and they were they had like leaning Christian themes. This one is like full on Christian content, mm-hmm. with the exception of minor expletive, like in track two or five, I believe, where he uses the common word for dung a few times, <laughs> possibly intentionally to create contrast. Anyways, in these songs, there's uh, there's a ton of church words like Messiah, Jesus being the only way, only follow Jesus. Um, and, and he's not being super careful even with saying those. It's like straight up church kind of language. So here at the end of a song titled We're in This Together, where he gives a testimony of his 
life, you know, and says, I messed up and I needed Jesus. And he concludes with a prayer here. Take a listen to this. I pray for every single person listening to this song right now. I pray for peace. I pray for joy. I pray for confidence. I pray for reassurance. I thank you so much for the person listening to this right now. I pray that you would bless them. Bless their mind. Bless their finances. Bless their family. Bless their sons. Bless their daughters. Bless their moms. Bless their dads. Bless their grandparents. God, I just pray for an overwhelming sense of your presence in their home right now. An overwhelming sense of your peace that says everything is going to be all right in the name of Jesus. No, I'm surprised. Like, listening to this song, I think it's definitely sounds like a prayer. It, it's... It, definitely works and honestly this would be something that you might even hear in church service so it it is good personally for me I would like knowing his audience if he was to like understand that most of his audience is not Christian then maybe like pray for them to you know or like to talk about Jesus more and how Jesus is like could save you you know there's no really like salvation in there it's more of like a blessing but that's nitpicking at this point but for me, the, the the thing that worries me about this whole situation is that here's a person that, like you mentioned, um, has you know d- different types of music. He's clearly not living like a fully Christian lifestyle, and he's going up and he um, starts singing about Christian themes. And so, if people look at him, unChristians, and look at his life and look at what he does, then they might take him as a mentor, a person who is not like spiritually developed yet a person who isn't really founded in the faith then they're going to be looking at him as a mentor and how he does things they're going to be following him and so that could lead some people astray which i'm worried about but i'm really happy that he's doing this i'm I'm really excited to see where he goes yeah i mean we, we kind of said the same thing when kanye released his jesus is king album where like yeah we applaud it of course we we encourage any any artist that has uh, has Christian convictions to mm-hmm. to make music and uh, you know that shares a good message. But is he a role model? Well, we don't know yet. We know that he has friends in high places and he tends to hang out with uh, with celebrity pastors like uh, Judah Smith and Carl um, Lentz less recently. Um, so time will tell. And another one appropriately titled "Afraid to Say," he offered a pretty unique commentary on the influence that he has. And he gave a shout out actually to a cancel culture. Um, well, by criticizing it and calling it immature, here's uh, the piece of that song. Does what I gotta say even matter? It's life about climbing up the ladder. And can we even see lives that are shattered? Ultimately, I'm happy that Justin Bieber is releasing these songs and they sound like listening to them. They sound really good. They sound like sermons, but ultimately like and I hope they really do like make a great influence on the people listening and especially that his audience um, isn't Christian like in the majority. So I really hope it does make an influence, but I think we should look at what someone says 
and then look at what he does as well. So in the future, I think I'll be keeping an eye out to see just how he progresses. Because, for instance, comparing okay, this might not be an un, this might be an unfair comparison, but the Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Kahn, she's talking about. Um, black neighborhoods, how we're supposed to um, move into them, how we're supposed to better them. You know, she's just this protest that Black Lives Matter when then she goes out and she buys a house that's in a predominantly white neighborhood. So you could listen to her message, you could listen to what she says, and you could be, all right, I'm going to do exactly what she says and go do this. But then you look at them and see what they do. And kind of in that, that also disregards their message in a sense. So I just want to see his lifestyle and see that if it's going to back up what he's saying. But I'm truly happy that he is. Yeah, there's definitely a difference in uh, in looking at message versus the person that's that's giving the message. For example, Alice Cooper from Alice in Chains, professing Christian. Is he a role model? Probably not. System of a Down makes a lot of music that has theological mm-hmm. elements. Is any of them a role model? Probably not. Yeah, I, th- I think there's... there's Two things, like you mentioned, lots of young people are listening, and so the two things come out of this. Uh, he's using the platform to spread the message; that's a plus. But he's also setting a precedent, an example, just by the yeah. virtue of releasing the songs and being somebody who people listen to and look up to. And I guess as I looked at all of this, I just it just feels a bit confusing nowadays with Christianity. You know, like we're I guess because of the global awareness of what's going on in the world at the same time, we're just hearing way more stories than before. And take, for example, Ravi Zacharias, right? And his fallout with the whole, you know, he, he was doing great work. He, you know, his reasoning still stands. It just then, you know, you, you go look at a life of a person, how much damage it can do to the message. And here you have Justin Bieber, who's not necessarily saying that he's, you know, this super Christian or, or even a converted Christian, you know, that's living a changed life. And yet he releases a very Christian message. It just... It's confusing. And think about the people, the young people who will listen. You know, we're talking about Gen Z. They're not going to go in depth over, you know, they're like, oh, this guy's, you know, Christian. And and so they can relate to him in many ways. I I think a lot of people can relate to the words that he's writing. You know, he's writing essentially through, he is, he's definitely on, on the way, right? You know, it reminds me of Paul writing to Philippians about the people who would preach uh, you know, out of selfish ambition. In Philippians 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, he talks about those who speak with selfish ambition, not sincerely, uh, supposing that they could stir up trouble with for me while I am in chains. But then he goes to say, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, uh, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and yep. because of this, I rejoice. And so I, I think it would be fair to say that we, we rejoice as well. I mean, as long as Christ is being preached, great. Um, I guess the message is, especially when it's being put into the ears of people who weren't really looking for it. And this might be one of the first exposures to some, you know, I, I don't have, maybe there, we could nitpick and, you know, criticize some of the lyrics, but uh, a majority of it is sounds like it has a gospel message. In the end, what makes uh, something Christian is Christ at the center of it all. And uh, the message of Christ is great, but only the Bible can deliver it without distortion. We as humans, through our lives, we inevitably are the containers of the message, and we're responsible for the state of the vessel in which we deliver that message. And so in the case of someone using their platform for good, that's great, but also there needs to be a life that shows evidence of a born-again heart. And uh, that results in the born-again actions, desires, goals, and lifestyles. 
Welcome to the Lightning Round, where we cover some of the top headlines that do not make it into our top stories, but nevertheless important stories to go over. In the world of COVID-19 vaccines, uh, it looks like in U.S. here at least they started studying the allergic reaction risk in Moderna and Pfizer vaccines. And it comes as uh, we did have several allergic reaction incidents, including some serious episodes known as anaphylaxis that have been reported in U.S., uh, specifically, they're trying to see within 90 minutes after the injection, you know, some people had an allergic reaction and they're trying to study that. A high school coach in New Hampshire has been fired after rejecting a mandate from the NHIAA, which oversees high school sports across the state. Uh, this mandate uh, requires masks in all field and track events except for throwing and jumping. And so it specifically bans encouraging gestures such as hugging, handshaking and fist bumps, mm. which... Seems pretty commonplace in outdoor sports right. and team sports. So I feel like pretty justified on that one. My question is, um, how are they going to enforce it? You know, it's a high school track meet. Is there going to be a police officer standing there making sure that everyone's wearing their mask and not coming into contact with each other? But I say just well, wear gloves. Yeah, I, I think he rejected it on a matter of principle. In that he wasn't afraid that it was going to be enforced, but in the sense that it's just completely unnecessary measures. Um, another sports-related story is the Texas Rangers opened their ballpark to full-capacity crowd for home opener. So Texas Rangers, a uh, um, baseball team, so um, they're one of the first teams to open to full capacity. All of the other teams are still at 25%. Um, and so the stadium was almost at full capacity, which was uh, 38 1,238 people, and they're still require, required to wear face masks, but only when they're eating or drinking, but from the videos posted, it doesn't look like anyone's really wearing a mask, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, what do you guys think? I think if there's a 1% spike in COVID cases, then this will be all over the news. Yeah. Everything's <laughs> big in Texas, so they had to go big <laughs> or go home. Yeah. Another... Um, politically related stories. So um, the House to vote on admitting Washington, D.C. as a state. Um, interesting that they're pushing this. Um, obviously, we know that the um, Senate needs to approve with 60 people, which would require 10 Republicans. So I don't think it's going to pass, but interesting that it's being pushed. So um, And then Manchin says he won't vote to end filibuster. Pan's using reconciliation again. So once again, just some more conflicts in politics. Now, in the world uh, news stories, we have uh, Greenland, for example, where recently, you know, it has attracted attention, you know, to its vast untapped mineral resources. There's like a group of rare earth elements that attracted the world's attention. And so now the news came out that the left party is um, basically they had an election this they, Tuesday. They gained majority. Yeah, the left party gained majority, so there's not going to be any mining in Greenland. In Indonesia, there were heavy rains, really heavy rains, and caused a lot of flooding. They say at least 133 people died. Dozens were missing. Uh, 27 deaths were reported in East Timor. Uh, basically, a tropical cyclone is causing a ton of damage and is expected to continue through uh, Southeast Asia. Other uh, world headlines that caught my attention was this Jordan... Prince uh, Hamza, he was accused of a plot to destabilize the kingdom. They basically blamed him to 
be part of some kind of coup. So they cut his internet phone lines. He's sitting at home under house arrest. And, uh, you know, it's just interesting to see how this situation is heating up all over the world. The Russian president signs a law that allows him to stay for two more terms as a Russian leader. In Israel, they still haven't decided um, that there was there was voting and apparently or election and they still are split and there might be a fifth one coming. President Biden has unveiled a plan to raise corporate taxes. And so this uh, this plan is kind of a mishmash of policies, but this also has to do with the global tax uh, proposal that will try to de uh, try to de-incentivize countries from leaving the U.S. or try to de-incentivize businesses, corporations from uh, outsourcing their labor and stuff like that to to other countries where they can they can bypass a lot of environmental labor regulations, things like that. Yeah, and, and the corporations, you know, responded in a surprising way. I guess Biden maybe expected that the corporate world would be behind his, you know, proposal. Well, as they are with most things that he proposes. In this case, he actually received a backlash saying, nah, that's not going to work for us. The next story is um, quite the thriller. Ketchup can't catch up. So there's... Good one, Paul. <laughs> it's, it's the title of the article. So supply, supply chain problems are reaching into a far corner of the business universe. Ketchup packets. So now that restaurants have been dealing with um, the pandemic, they're, taking, they're having a lot of takeout orders, which means um, they're using ketchup packets more and more. Um, and they're running out of them. And so it's far and wide. Every state is facing this. You know, there's not enough ketchup packets. And so some restaurants are just putting them in like little containers and in like little plastic uh, holders. I don't know. But for me, I think this is definitely interesting. No one would have thought. But I, I also don't think it's the biggest deal if you don't have ketchup packets. So here's an article from uh, Christian Headlines. Christian Arc. Christians across the country are leaving the SBC for other denominations. Um, the SBC is the Southern Baptist uh, Convention, I think is what it's called. Yeah, convention. It's the largest Protestant denomination in America. And so according to their recent statement uh, that they put out, a lot of people, pastors, you know, uh, members, I guess, decided to move on to other evangelical denominations. And here's the statement. They said... Uh, in light of our current conversation in the Southern Baptist Convention, we stand together on historic South Southern Baptist condemnations of racism in any form, and we also declare that affirmation of critical race theory, intersectionality, and any version of critical theory is incompatible with the Baptist faith and message. And so in response, some prominent black pastors denounced the statement and uh, left, uh, you know, last month I think we had Beth Moore, an author and a Bible teacher, uh, she announced that she was leaving SBC, and in her case, it was uh, the question of uh, complementarianism. Basically, the fact that the women can't teach in a church was a problem for her. So, it's again, not a lot of people leave to other denominations. This is not necessarily, you know, people falling away from Christian faith, if you will. But it's a point of contention at the, at, at the time being, for the time being. Yeah. So I think I think this kind of exodus is a backlash from basically the. SBC was basically removed themselves from a church that started to accept uh, homosexual couples. As we sort of zoom out, we see a story of Christians being forced to reconvert to a tribal religion in central India. So this is a village that's near New Delhi, I believe, where uh, there was 
there was a person who was on his deathbed and he went to visit a pastor and had him pray for him and uh, essentially a deathbed convert. And so they mm-hmm. brought him back to the village and the villagers refused to bury him. And then there created a uprising of violence where the there's 10 families that were chased out mm-hmm. and uh, essentially being persecuted. If they were not to reconvert into a tribal religion, yeah. Exactly. They hunted them down and like basically like forced them to commit a ritual that would would reintegrate them back into the tribal religion. So they like sprinkled water on them or whatever it was. Um, and so in another story, the Chinese regime has altered the age of an elderly woman in order to jail her. So there's uh, there's a clause, I guess, in, in Chinese law where if you're over the age of 75, then they can't uh, imprison you or the or there's a different... So uh, they altered her age or the law? Uh, the, loss, the law remains the same. So this woman's 80 years old. And so they changed her age to 75 so that they could jail okay. her. Wow. For her Christian faith, yes. So next in the news is a series of... Um, kind of gruesome stories where the first one being NFL player Philip Adams killed five then himself. Um, so he came to a home of Dr. Robert Leslie and his wife, Barbara. Um, Dr. Robert was 70, his wife was 69. And then their grandchildren were with them um, who were nine and five. And then also there were um, some workers working on the house. So he came mm-hmm. in, he shot everyone. As of right now, there's no real motive mm-hmm. or reason why he did this but um you know he killed all these people and there's actually a sixth victim that didn't die but was flown to a hospital so many people kind of look back at this player's career and so when he played he suffered a lot of injuries including two concussions over three games in 2012 so a lot of people are saying um, he might be suffering long-lasting concussion-related injuries. And so Adam's father told a Charlotte television station he blamed football for his son's problems, which might have led him to commit Wednesday's violence. So we don't know really why it happened, but I'm sure as the story unveils and unfolds, we'll see um, why this is committed. But it was a gruesome story. Well, in a story, a kind of follow-up on a story, Tiger Woods' car crash that happened about a weeks ago maybe three four weeks ago they just came out and said this week that it was due to a high rate of speed so he crashed because he was speeding prince philip the duke of edinburgh has passed away at the age of 99 we remember him fondly he's a world war ii veteran and a good man carrie underwood uh released a new christian album uh aimed at like traditional him well it's like more traditional and like I think even the lyrics that I looked were more like the old style English, whatever you call that. Uh, so she released a new album titled My Savior. All right, in other entertainment uh, headlines, Godzilla vs. Kong was a movie that um, aired this past weekend, brought in a uh, surprising 48 million or 49 million in uh, whatever it's called, money that they made. Um, was a big hit considering that Theaters are reopening, right, with COVID guidelines. In a world of science, they've discovered a new uh, force of nature or possibly discovered. They're very close to discovering it. So they're, they're saying that we got, we got our force, four categories of, of forces in, you know, in the physical world, gravity, electromagnetism, strong force, and the weak force. And now there's signs of this fifth fundamental force of nature. They're doing a bunch of experiments, pretty much throwing uh, particles in a 
this huge ring spinning it around and seeing how they will perform under certain stress. And they're noticing a particle called muon. Uh, they're hoping the well, it behaves in a, in a different way than the than the physics would predict, and so it might open a new chapter in physics. Why is this important? Because they're trying to dig and see what is the origin of the universe. Is there something behind you know that we haven't understood, and finally we'll all understand it all? I think they're just digging deeper and deeper, and pretty much getting closer and closer to the realization that there's God behind all this, and He is that force that we can't pin down with our scientific observations. On top of that, there was a statement by uh, Elon Musk's Neuralink partner where he came out and said, hey, we could actually do Jurassic Park if, you know, given enough time in a few years, we could spin it off. We might not have dinosaurs, but we'll have some exotic animals. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, I don't know if we want to repeat the... Ju I don't know if that was a good reference to say recreate Jurassic, Jurassic Park, but that, not something we want to see probably, but... Well, an interesting idea, nevertheless. I think we should be careful in saying that Elon Musk won't do it because that only tends to get him to <laughs> follow the projects through. So, but you won't, Elon. So, I'd like to be the first to congratulate you, gentlemen, and all of those listening, because uh, we have made it to the fashion renaissance. So, the fashion mask is here. Um, those of you that don't know, Will I Am launches high tech face covering. So, um, it goes for a measly. Two hundred ninety nine dollars. Um, it has the N ninety five, and it does have um, so the N ninety five mask, and it does have um, uh, sound canceling headphones, which are apparently really, really good quality. So, my opinion, it looks kind of stylish, um, but then again, it seems kind of late for. Um, and I think Will I am mentioned this as well as he thinks it's a little bit late, but he hopes that people look at it as a fashion statement and start buying them. So um, are you guys getting one? Only as a gift for someone I hate. <laughs> All right, that concludes our lightning round. Now back to our top stories. The murder trial of Derek Chauvin, police officer who played a role in the death of George Floyd, has progressed through its second week, where the prosecution, after a slower start, is gaining traction. I say this because the defense lawyers have been very effective at sowing little seeds of doubt into each cross-examination. Mr. Chauvin has pleaded not guilty to all charges, including murder in the second and third degree and second degree manslaughter. The prosecution has to prove that Chauvin used excessive lethal force against George Floyd, and they're really breaking it down into minute details. Some key witnesses were officers from the Minneapolis Police Department. So there's a chart they showed. Uh, if you're following the trial, then it, it was Exhibit 110 uh, that showed a training guide with different ranges of defense and control responses. So as Floyd went from aggressive resistance to being immobilized and subdued, Chauvin should have actively de-escalated, which he seemed not to according to film footage. We won't play the video. It's, uh, it's a little bit difficult to watch. We don't want to be gratuitous. But the problems arise in proving this because the Supreme Court case, Graham versus Connor, has established a precedent that the reasonableness of a particular use of force must be judged from the perspective of a reasonable officer on the scene, not with 2020 vision of hindsight. So one of the strongest points from the prosecution was that Chauvin neglected to and wouldn't give first aid when Floyd was unconscious. It was later shown that even EMS responders wouldn't treat him on the spot, implying that this was because of an increasingly hostile environment, which is one of the angles that the, the, the defense is taking. So it will take a lot to convict. And although additional testimony from forensic pathologists and physicians seems to incriminate Chauvin, the verdict is still weeks away. 
I'd encourage all of our listeners that have an opinion on this case to take time and look into the proceedings. So was there any part of the trial that stood out to you guys so far? I'm really glad this trial is happening because it seems like there's a lot more evidence that's being opened up and shown to the public, you know, and for instance, like who would have thought that uh, George Floyd kicked an officer and that there was, correct me if I'm wrong, but there were found uh, pills that had George Floyd's DNA in the squad car. I'm glad this is happening. And once again, I'm not picking a side. Um, I feel like Chauvin could have acted better he could have like when George Floyd stopped breathing give him medical attention and and all that was required in that case but you know if he was guilty then I feel like the the trial will find it and if he's not then that will be found as well I'm just kind of glad this is happening and that we could see it and you know the the biggest part for me is that all of these things are coming out and now when the what the media was trying to cover before is now all out there and everyone could see all of the evidence for me what stood out is well in this whole thing first of all you you obviously expect people to be on one side or the other there's the defense and then there's the prosecution this is a national case now now in a city where the lawsuit is going on right now or in the city where where george floyd is from uh there's barricades, there's uh, police on high alert. It's, uh, you know, the tensions are pretty high. They're really expecting an outcome. And will this produce more violence? Uh, if the case goes one way or the other, of course. Uh, you know, if especially if there will be not something, you know, what the public expected in terms of a response from the court system, there will be violence. And so that's why I think the vit- some of the witnesses were taking a specific side because they got to go back to work. They got to go back to what they were doing before. And if mm-hmm. they say the wrong comment, if they present it in the wrong light. So some took more, you know, like, all right, this is totally wrong. And others took a more neutral approach, trying to be as impartial as they can. Uh, but not a lot were on the side of the officer. Yeah. And I think in the coming weeks, we'll see more more witnesses that will lean more towards the defense side, because right now the prosecution is making its case and then the that they're being cross-examined okay. by defense, and then the defense will lay out their mm-hmm. case, and then the jury will deliberate. This trial is very significant in that it's almost being turned into a spectacle, and there's people that are kind of just itching at the chance to break out in violence and mm-hmm. riot either out of celebration or out of anger. We see this because from May to August in last year, 2020, uh, there was over 10,000 BLM-linked protests. 93% of those were nonviolent. Um, Only 220 locations had violent protests, but those had repeated instances of of violence and destruction. I would say it's really significant because uh, CNN's parent company, HLN, is reporting some of the highest daytime ratings ever since the George Zimmerman trial, which was of a similar vein. Uh, It's still a far cry from the viewership of the OJ trial, OJ Simpson, which had over 15 million people watching the conclusion in 95. It's interesting. Our obsession with with crime stories dates all the way back to Jack the Ripper in 1888, when newspapers were trying to ratchet up sales, you know, basically sell more newspapers by printing edgy, kind of almost wanton headlines and cover pictures that would grab the eye. Um, So it's it's interesting. But there is a more recent event to harken back to, and that's the Los Angeles riots where... Uh, there was a video of Rodney King, you know, being brutally beaten by police. And so the entire city of Los Angeles was placed under control of the National Guard. Now, you can't really compare the level of brutality against Floyd 
uh, with Rodney King, but you can compare the level of sensationalism that's around it. Uh, even though this trial is still undergoing, there are lots of people that have foregone conclusions. And this is dangerous, I think, because more than anything, we want justice with impartiality and integrity, not because uh, witnesses are afraid of what will happen to them or, uh, or lawyers or anybody that's involved. Is that really the case, though? In following God's law, we understand that whoever is guilty of breaking one part is guilty of breaking all of it. Where I'm going is, would we consider injustice if someone, uh, if we were convicted for maybe downloading a LimeWire song? Uh, in the same way that we would consider it injustice if, if Derek Chauvin was, was completely acquitted. Uh, you know, either cases, it would be right according to kind of legalese, and so the, the written law. And the thing is, I want to leave this kind of on an open-ended question. Uh, there's a tendency in our community, the Slavic community, to try to game the system uh, and try to get away with what you can. Um, are we right to expect a certain amount of grace? Or do we place ourselves at the mercy of a law that we learn through social conditioning? Well, that, that's, a, that's a tough question, you know, because it's almost like we're having two different trials. One is the legal trial, and another one is the social trial. So this is definitely a difficult case. We don't know if he's going to be acquitted. We don't know if he's going to be guilty. In my opinion, I think it doesn't matter for the woke mob. Because if we look at it, if Chauvin is convicted, then the conclusion will be that America is indeed systemically racist. This case is just the beginning, and they're going to push for more reform and say that let's not let this happen again by implementing all of these rules and laws. If he's not guilty, then there will be more riots and America will be deemed systemically racist. So in my opinion, I don't really think there's a way to win this one. I think the woke mob is going to be upset about it no matter what. So yeah, it's interesting what's going to happen in the future. So this is going to be the last top story. Congratulations, you've made it this far. If you want to give yourself a pat on the back, go for it. Grab a cup of That's coffee, right. buckle in. This is an interesting one. Major League Baseball is taking a stand on voting rights. On Friday, the league announced that the 2021 MLB All-Star Game and the 2021 MLB Draft which were both slated to take place in Atlanta, have now been moved from Georgia to Denver, Colorado. If we kind of look at the events that happened and, and why this was the case, we see that Joe Biden um, w was kind of calling out these new voter laws passed in Georgia as um, segregation. He was comparing them to Jim Crow laws. And then um, later on, he kind of called out the MLB and the president, Rob Manfred, where he said that um, they should move the All-Star game out of Georgia. The story behind this is Rob Manfred, he claims that he had a discussion with the Players Alliance, an organization of black players formed after the death of um, George Floyd last year. And they kind of had this conversation with Rob and they said these new voter rules in Georgia were anti-black voter rights. And so they were kind of opposed to this. So because of this decision, Rob went ahead and he moved the All-Star game. I think it's an interesting story. Um, and we've kind of talked about this in depth last week on the Georgia voting bill. And so to, to kind of quickly summarize for you all, it's the Georgia voting bill. What it really did is the law makes absentee voting harder. People must have a qualifying form of identification or a voter ID to vote. Um, the law expands the number of days required of early voting. Um, only polit political activists can't hand out water. Um, while you can buy water, a friend can go and get you water. Poll workers can even give you water. It's just political activists can't do this. So th that is summing up the voter rights um, in Georgia. Comparing Jim Crow laws and the Georgia voting bill, in my opinion, just doesn't make sense. I mean, 
the, this whole situation is confusing. And I know like the, the commissioner or the, M, the, the president of the MLB, um, he could have had a lot of thoughts. He could have been pressured by the woke mob um, by making this decision. But he did say that this voting bill was anti-black voter rights. So do you all think that this was the right decisions or he made the right call here? Well, we talked a little bit earlier about the Blue Jays game and how, you know, fans are coming in. That's where the revenue is coming from, from, uh, from baseball, right? Uh, so do you think all those people, what was it, like 38,000 tickets? Yep. You know, was the majority of those people from more of a woke culture that's, that frowns upon this? Or is it from, you know, Republican conservatives maybe that uh, are tired of the pandemic being over? They want to. Uh, they want to see live sports. They want to enjoy uh, an American pastime. Um, so I feel like it's very misplaced to have the MLB pander to to this kind of culture because it's a demographic that uh, that doesn't benefit them in any way. There's absolutely no reason to be listening to their um, grievances as far as a business is concerned. So the the part that surprised me was that the the president of the MLB said that it was a, the group of forty five. Um, players that had a conversation with him that's 45 players out of a thousand that are in the MLB and so because of this small minority he kind of made this decision and I'm I'm sure because of what Biden said as well so there's obviously multiple viewpoints on this Um, the left is saying the Georgia voting bill is it makes it harder to vote they have these opinions and so obviously the Republicans have their own opinion where this is the right thing to do and then they compare Georgia with Delaware how uh, Delaware has even stricter voting rights so it's kind of this battle that is happening but it doesn't end there so here's what the Delta CEO said about the situation after having time to now fully understand all that is in the bill Coupled with discussions with leaders and employees in the black community, it is evident that the bill includes provisions that will make it harder for many underrepresented voters, particularly black voters, to exercise their constitutional right to elect their representative. So this was CEO Ed Bastian, which then obviously there's a response from the Georgia governor um, about this, but also Coca-Cola pitched in. Um, And so the CEO said that he does not stand by the bill. He thinks it's a step backwards. And so there is a meeting of the 72 black executives from Coca-Cola. So they got together and they said, make no mistake. We have seen this playbook before. Um, As black business leaders, we cannot sit silently in the face of this gathering threat to our nation's democratic values and allow the fundamental right of Americans to cast their votes for whomever they choose to be trampled upon yet again. Clearly, these executives, these CEOs, they're making the claim that there's voter suppression going on. There is a specifically black voter suppression. Um, And my question is, am I missing something? How does this pertain to black voters specifically? Um, Is there... Uh, a large population of black voters that don't have IDs that don't aren't aren't I I guess I'm just confused here. and if you guys could shed some insight I would I would love to hear it well the main thing I guess that they were putting forward is that the black population tend to be you know living closer to the city in more dense areas there's more of them and now that the, with the reduction of number of booths where you could vote or not booths but uh, locations uh, longer lines that basically all of these limitations as they see them were, you know, if you, if you take a look at it from the law perspective, it's actually safeguarding, right? They say all these limitations would essentially deter the uh, predominantly, well, primarily the people who like are working class, uh, 
but predominantly specifically in this state, you know, African-American voters from uh, going to vote because it's so much harder now. And so instead of, you know, they're already tired or they already, you know, have huge lines. Now that it's going to be double that. And, and so that they just might not turn out to vote anymore at this point. That's not really the case, though, because the Georgia voting bill actually made it so there's shorter lines. Because if there's a certain amount of people they said to open in big areas to open two voting centers instead of one, so there would be shorter lines, there would be a shorter crowd, and and they actually extended the amount of, like, in like if you're doing ballot voting, you know, over mail, um, then they extended it for up to, like, three weeks instead of what it was before. No, in-person voting, when you go to the place it's now you could vote as early as three weeks beforehand so this is crazy this is like not done anywhere else so they're expanding the time for you to go vote they're making multiple places so if there's huge lines they're actually going to split those precincts into two that's the thing is i don't understand where they're allowing more people to come and vote the only thing is they're requiring voter id which it's the same question that we have at the border right now uh, saying that, oh, hey, by the way, the process that we have at the border of illegal aliens getting into the country is too restrictive for humans. So maybe there's still some misunderstanding going on right now, and in the future we'll get, get a be- better clarity of what is happening. Um, but the, the, th- the point that I want to make in conclusion is about unity. So Biden has stepped out multiple times, and he said that he this is the time to unify the country, and that was his goal with, um, to kind of bring us all back together. And so my question is, how is publicly urging a manager of a large corporation to boycott boycott certain states if they pass legislature that he doesn't like? Or, you know, because half of the country is Republican, like Vadim mentioned. So half of the MLB supporters are Republican. Half of the MLB teams are in Republican states. So what does politics have to do with sports? If anything, I feel like sports should be the thing we go to when we want to take a break from politics, but now it's even seeping into there. And so a good quote that I saw was by Charles Barkley, um, and he said this. So I think most white people and black people are great people. I really believe that in my heart, but I think our system is set up where our politicians, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, are designed to make us not like each other so that they can keep their grasp of money and power. They divide, then conquer. And I kind of agree with that and there was an image um, I saw it was kind of a meme but it says so there's a king overlooking uh, a crowd of people with pitchforks and torches and so uh, he, he has a person standing right beside him and he's kind of giving him kind of a hint or maybe it's his um, ad- advisor and he says oh you don't need to fight them you just need to convince the pitchfork people that the torch people want to take away their pitchforks so if you want to conquer them, you just need to have them fight against each other. And so I want to conclude the segment by saying that there are good people on both sides. There's some misunderstandings that could happen. There are some disagreements. Maybe we didn't read into the story and maybe in the future there's going to be more clarity on these things. But I think the two parties are definitely tearing us apart as people to the point that if you see someone from the other side, all you do is laugh. Or maybe even if you don't say something, you kind of have hate towards them based on their opinion or whatever they say. And so as Christians, let's not let the divisions get into us. We should still have meaningful conversations with the other side, try to understand. And if we have to explain our side, our point of view, let's do it with love. Well, that's it for the stories for this week. As the world continues its quest for lasting peace, 
through big government, better secure borders, laws that respect and protect human rights and individual liberty. It's important to know that true peace can only be found in Jesus. So, as always, we would like to remind you that there is no better news on any given day than the good news of Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. He died for all so that we might have peace with God. And that peace truly transcends everything. And we encourage you to seek him if you haven't already. Thank you for listening to Life Ring and we'll see you next week. See you.